Okay, welcome everybody. Um, I'm going to get started right away. I know that there are stragglers out there, but as you know, we have a lot of material to cover tonight. So let us start in prayer. I am at the end of the prayer. Um, I, I hope for obvious reasons to you, I'm going to invite you to join me in the Lord's Prayer. Okay. Father God, thank you for bringing us together again this week. I thank you for the beauty of the fall um, and the reminder of the change and um, just the beauty of what you have created and the significance of what you have created. Lord, I pray that your spirit would fill this space this evening, that you would be with each and every one of us. I pray that you would enlighten for us what it is that you want us to know to be true about you and your kingdom. I pray that you would be amongst our conversation and that you would ultimately be honored and glorified and honored and glorified as we learn more about the prayer that Jesus has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. So chapter 10 <clears throat> um, ended with this example of Mary and Martha, and what we talked about, or what was talked about, is that being used as an illustration of what kind of follower or disciple of Christ Jesus wants us to be. And so when we were talking about it, there was Mary, Mary and there was Martha, which one was the one that was the disciple that Jesus wants us to be, or wants his disciples to be? Was it Mary or was it Martha? It was Mary, and it was Mary because what? What was she doing? She was listening, right, right. Okay, so chapter 11 moves into, again, this idea we're focused on his disciples, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And so we'll begin in chapter 10. If you're in a blue Bible, it's on page 868. I'm sorry, just kidding, chapter 11. You don't want to go back. I don't know why I keep saying 10. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because he is impu impudence, 
because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who has asked receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we, now he was casting out a demon that was mute. And when he, the demon was, had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit was gone out of a person, it passes through waterless spaces, places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it will find the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits from more evil, more evil than itself. And they enter and they dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and keep it. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came to the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of, Nine of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. 
But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of a cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seed in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers, also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your father, for they killed them, and you built their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed, shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the, and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation." Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard, to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in, in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. All right. So... This opens up, and we see that Jesus is praying. And the disciples see him praying, and being good disciples, understanding their role as a disciple in learning and watching Jesus, they ask him, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? They've watched Jesus go away, and they've watched him pray a lot. And so it's important for them as disciples to ask and want to learn how to pray. And so Jesus gives them, he gives us the Lord's Prayer why does he give us the Lord's Prayer? Well, the Lord's Prayer points to God, who he is, and what he promises us. It's a grounding prayer. It centers us on who God is. Our Father, and the God and the creator of the universe, heaven and earth. Prayer is really vital to our lives, and I'm very... Um, I think personally impacted and, and passionate about it. 
It's vital to our lives as disciples because it's the means in which we are be able to be in communion with God. And so what that means is that we know him more deeply. When you're in communion with somebody, you're with them, and you get to know them better. And so how do you love somebody? You're with them. If I had gone home 24 years ago and told my parents, I read about this guy, Steve, I read his biography, and um, I've been talking to people about him, and we're getting married next week, my parents would have been like, uh, no, you're not. Okay, granted, at the time I was 26, and they probably couldn't have really told me what to do or not to do. And the fact that our marriage was kind of arranged and they already knew ahead, but that's a different story. But if you don't know somebody, you really ought to be spending time with them. And we can read about God, we can read about the kingdom of God, and we can read about him in scripture, and we're supposed to. That is the purpose of this. But purely reading about somebody is not the same as being with them. And so prayer is an opportunity for us to be able to engage with him. And so how do you fall in love with somebody? You're with them, you spend time with them, you understand who they are. And God wants us to fall in love with him. He wants us to be in love with him. And how do you stay in love with somebody? You spend time with them. You work at your relationship. You have, an, you have the desire to maintain your relationship and even improve your relationship. And it's about being intentional about finding and always maintaining a deeper connection and an understanding of that person that you love. And so Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us to understand who he is and who our Father is. And so prayer is really significant in the practices and what he teaches his disciples and us. And you'll get an opportunity to pray, to pray in the spiritual discipline for this week. And so how do we relate to God? How can we actually experience him? How do we grow in our relationship with him? We actually spend time with him. And we can better understand what his desire is and his nature by studying the Bible, but we also want to be with him. And so that's what, why prayer is important. He goes on then, Jesus, and he talks about this, um, this story of a neighbor. And we have to understand again, and I know Eric said this, but in the Jewish tradition, hospitality is kind of a big deal. It's like a requirement, it's an expectation. If somebody shows up at your door in the middle of the night, you ought to have something for them to eat, drink. And if you don't, it's like a bad reflection. And so you're in a jam, and this guy goes over to his neighbors and he's like, hey, I need three loaves of bread. And his neighbor says, don't bother me. And the neighbor is, needs these things. And what does Jesus say? He said, well, don't give up. Keep, keep at it. Because if you are persistent enough, he will respond to you. And so I was thinking about this um, how bad, how bad do things have to get before we will, we will actually ask for help? Right? Like, how desperate do you have to be before you ask somebody for help? What do the circumstances have to be? Like, would you have gone to your neighbors 
I mean, I think my mom and dad have because we would because we live next door. But would you go to your neighbor and ask for th three loaves of bread? Or would you ask your neighbor or would you ask a friend or a colleague or another family member to help you get something done? I think it's hard for us because we work so hard to make sure that people think that we are competent and capable and independent and we can do things on our own. But that's not at all the way God intended for us to be. He intends for us to be in community and he intends for us to be in communion with him. So we're not alone, we're together. Jesus goes on then and he, um, with this illustration about this father and what this father will provide for his kids. Fathers are gonna, mothers too, are going to provide for the basic needs of their children. It's what we do. And if we know how to provide what our kids need and give them good things, then how much more willing and excited is God to give us the greatest gift, the greatest thing? The thing that he wants to give us is the Holy Spirit. And so that's what's being illustrated here. This gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the greatest gift because it is what gives us the power of God with us. This, the Holy Spirit, asking for it and him giving it to us is Christ in us and Christ through us. It is God with us. And that's the greatest gift. It's the Holy Spirit that allows us to see and hear and understand who God is, his goodness and his will for us. It's through the Holy Spirit that we're connected to him. And so he wants to give it to us because that's what connects us to him. That's what allows us to be in communion with him. It's through the Holy Spirit when we are in the practice of prayer or some of the other spiritual practices that allow us to hear and understand and feel what is going on. And it's also interesting because it's through the Holy Spirit that thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, which is a part of the Lord's prayer that he didn't, Luke didn't include in this. But then he moves on and he talks about this light, he contrasts light and darkness or darkness and light. And so he kind of bounces us back and forth a bit. Jesus' opponents, they think that he's casting out these demons um, with the power of Satan. And Jesus is like, well, that's ridiculous. Because if Satan gave me power to cast out these demons, he's giving me power to defeat himself. That makes no sense whatsoever. And I'm not giving you a sign. But these people are watching him and they don't believe it because why would God use this ordinary guy, Jesus, to do these extraordinary things? For them, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't match up with what they have been doing, what they know to be true, what they know to be right, and so they want a sign. But he says no. And then he compares himself to Jonah and um, the queen of the south. And Jonah preached. He went to Nineveh. He preached. He taught. And they listened to him. And they repented. And they didn't need a sign. He was the sign. And so he's saying, these people weren't even Israelites. They listened to Jonah. 
and they believed in him, or they believed him, and then they repented. Why are you not understanding who I am? You've been told that I'm coming. Why do you not believe who I am? And the reference to the queen of the south, Queen Sheba, is from the south of um, South Arabia, and she traveled a long way to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And so again, all these people are believing other people, Solomon, Noah, uh, Noah Jonah, um, and repenting, but these people are not, and it doesn't make sense. But the generation that got to see and actually be with Jesus doesn't even, they don't believe that it's him. And I think that that can be really difficult for us to understand if he's right there, like, oh my gosh, how great would it be to see him right now? And so for us, we don't necessarily understand why they don't get it. But in their culture, they were doing what they were taught to do. They believed that they were right. And so then Jonah, or, um, Luke goes back to this contrast between light and darkness. And in verse 33 through 36, he talks about the eye being a window into a person's spiritual condition. It shows us what's on the inside. And the question is, are we radiating light or are we radiating darkness? God is the source of that light. And we talked about this this morning and this afternoon in our discussions. And the question was asked, what do we reflect? Ought we consider what we ourselves reflect? When somebody looks in our eye, if it's the window into the inside of us, our heart and our soul, what does it reflect? It's not about what is on the outside, uh, that matters, it's what's on the inside. Our actions, our words that come from the inside, our attitudes, our postures, they reveal what is and who is inside. And so that's a challenge to understand the, light, the difference between light and the darkness and what we reflect. And then we go back to the darkness, the religious leaders Jesus encountered and he gives warnings of what is to come. And he's brutal in what he says to them. He pulls no punches. The Pharisees and the lawyers have had a specific role and expertise as religious leaders, and they're carrying out what they're supposed to do. They were a necessary part of the religion. They needed their, people needed their support to keep the laws and to remain righteous in front of God. But their services were no longer needed because Jesus had arrived and was on mission with this new kingdom of God. Jesus was turning everything that they thought they knew on its ear. And it was really hard for them to understand that. Jesus was also pointing out the hypocrisy of their teaching and their leading. It was like they were majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. In verse 42, it says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. You're majoring on the minors and you're minoring on the majors. You're missing out on the whole 
desire that God has for his kingdom. And as he's calling him out, like I said, they point out, they point to his corruption. And what, what, what is their response? They're angry. I, I'm sure they're like, who, who, like, who do you think you are? I can't believe that you don't understand or you think we're wrong because we, we think, we know we're right. This is what we've been taught. And it may, again, seem ridiculous that they can't figure out who Jesus is, but this is what they're accustomed to. What is it, what is it going to take to get their attention? Like, I feel like some, sometimes I read this and I'm like, come on, you guys. This is not hard. Why don't you see it? I mean, we have the benefit of this whole thing. But, but then I ask myself, too, what does it take to get my attention? What does it take to get me to really think about what I believe and think is true? And how do we respond when other people challenge us in our behavior and what we do or what we believe? What does it take to get us to reconsider what we think is to be right and true? I've talked about this before on a Sunday morning, this posture of humility, this posture that would say, I'm open to the possibility that I could be wrong about something, and I'll listen to you without fighting, without pushing back, without shoving mine, my opinion or my voice on top of yours. So the question that I ask myself and I ask us, who has God placed in our path to challenge us to think about what we think we know? And is there an opportunity for us to go back and say, you know what, I'd actually like to hear more about what you have to say. Of course, the Pharisees' response is outrage. And they have a grudge, and now they're out for revenge. And we do know how the story continues. And Luke, he ends chapter 12, 11, with a cliffhanger. They're there and wait for him to catch him in something he might say. But then he moves on and he shows Jesus, Jesus' response to this hostility. Now he's prepping his people. He's prepping the disciples for what they're going to face and what's to come. And so chapter 12 on page 871. In the meantime, when so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light and what you have whispered in the private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are, you not, five are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, ev why even the hairs on your head are all numbered? Fear not, 
you are more val- of more value than many sparrows. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before man, the son of man also, will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in abundance of their possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear my, down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will those be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, or is not not treasure toward God? And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with, mo- with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in, heaven, in the heavens that do not fail where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will, will your heart be also. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. 
Blessed are those servants whom the, who the, whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and he will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is given, of him much will be required, and from him to whom they entrusted much, and they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it, will, it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. Hostility and conflict are rising, and what Jesus is doing is he's giving instruction and he's preparing his disciples because they need to understand that they are going to face what he is going to face, persecution and death. And so, again, 
there's this analogy of leaven that we've seen in other places, and leaven is this idea of something growing or expanding, getting bigger, and sometimes it's used in a positive way, and sometimes it's used in a negative way. Here, it's negative. He's talking about what these Pharisees have to offer and what they're doing. Don't buy into it because it will grow, and it will be bigger than it's supposed to be, and it's not good. So beware of the Pharisees and what they have to offer. He describes also a slow and, I mean, yeast, not he, yeast, kind of describes or gives us this image of this slow, insidious kind of growth into something bad in this particular um, scenario, something that a person might not even realize is growing. It's just subtle, and slowly over time, it gets bigger and becomes a bigger problem. And so that's the darkness. And then there's a, another contrasting. In verses 4 through 8, which is a huge, a big section, Luke brings his disciples back to the goodness of God and his kingdom, and he tries to ease any of the fears um, of what may come. And he explains what it means to be prepared for his return and the final judgment that's coming. So now we see this moving from Jesus' ministry and out, and, he, and he's traveling towards Jerusalem. And so now he's preparing for what people, what his disciples really need to know and be prepared for. In verse 10, 10 um, may meet, need a little bit more explanation. I think we talked about it this morning and this afternoon because um, verse 10, actually, it says, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And so the conversation was, well, wait a minute. Isn't Father, Son, Spirit the same? So how can we have two different responses for similar actions? And the idea of this is that if somebody, is, if somebody rejects Jesus and the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, they don't understand and they don't know it. They still may believe that God is God of the universe, but they just are rejecting who Jesus says he is. But what is still to come is that Jesus will die and then he will be resurrected. And when Jesus is resurrected, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon us, the disciples. And so by denying the Holy Spirit, you ultimately then would be denying all that God has said was going to happen, which is denying God. Does that make a little bit more sense? Yeah. And so if you're denying Jesus, it's, you know, there's still a chance. If you, are, if you completely deny the Holy Spirit and you're denying God, things are not going to end well. So then we move on to this parable of the rich fool. Storing up treasure for self is a bad idea. And I think that we have heard this before in other places. And it's really bad timing for this guy. That's the point. Like, you don't know. And so you might think that you have time to get it right, but you don't really know. And so here this guy is, he's got all of these great things, and he 
rebuilds his barns bigger so he has place to store them. And he's like, well done. Look at you. Now you have all these things and you can just sit back and live your best life. But then the story is that God is like, you fool, hello. Like tonight's the night. Jesus is coming back and now you're in big trouble. Because these riches are all for you and where are they going? Nowhere. And did you know the will of God? Did you understand the will of God? Did you carry out the will of God? And then verses 22 and 23, again, go back to this idea of Jesus wanting to comfort people. Comfort his people to not worry. Don't be anxious. I'm telling you this is coming, and I know I'm giving you every reason to be anxious, but don't worry. <laughs> and these verses can be very comforting in times of trouble and sorrow and worries and doubts. Earlier today also in our conversation, we talked specifically about verse 25, which says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? That sounds lovely, right? It's true, but if it was only that easy. It's not that easy. It can be really challenging to just relax. And I think that that is something that everybody struggles with. The only one who didn't do that, didn't worry, was Jesus. And we're all prone to it. And I think that we can beat ourselves up sometimes for worrying about things that we shouldn't worry about. But the reality is that there can be things to worry about in our fallen world. And just by saying, how does worry lengthen your life, doesn't necessarily make it go away. But then we go back to the beginning. So this opportunity to prayer, to pray, and this opportunity to be in relation and communion with God, the benefit of it is having this deep understanding of who he is and his connection. And if you've experienced a time when there's something going on and you just cry out to God or um, you ask people to pray for you, and you experience some peace, if you've experienced that, you know where this is coming from. This idea that God is with us, and when, when we are in communion with him, we understand who he is and what he wants from us, or for us, there can be peace even in the chaos. Last night I was sharing with some people that I was um, real stressed out about school and some you know, reading and papers and stuff that I have to do. And um, I got myself so worked up. I was so stressed out. Like, my, my chest was heavy. I actually got angry, and I walked out a few times into the living room, and I was like, I just need to walk away from these books because I'm actually angry about this. And so I got myself to a point where I actually, there was, I couldn't do any good. Like, there was... It was over. So I put her to bed earlier than I was going to, and I was like, you're done, and I cannot stand you anymore, so we are going to start over tomorrow. 
And I slept really, really well. And at 3.38 in the morning, nope, sorry, 4.48 in the morning, my eyes popped open and I heard, um, this is how this is going to go. <laughs> and it was not Steve. And I mean, I didn't hear an audible voice, but it was like, oh. And I, and I laid there and I was like, oh, this might be good. So I should probably hang on for a second. And I stayed awake and I'm like, oh, okay. This is how this is going to go. And part of it was about this, you know, teaching and this message and seeing what God intends for me and for us to see in this. And I was like, oh, okay, I shouldn't have worried because do you know how many times I have been woken up in the middle of the night between 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. and God and I are doing business? A lot, so many times. And so when you, when you experience that communion with him, when you establish that trust with him, that he is with you, he is for you, and you understand his will and his love for you, that trust builds. And so following this lovely section about not being anxious, we go back to this um, idea of being ready. And these servants, this illustration of these servants, um, basically the job of a servant is really to um, anticipate and understand what their master's wishes or desires are going to be, okay? And so the question is, do you know your master's, God's, desire for his kingdom? Do you know what he wants for you? Do, we know, do you know what he wants for his kingdom? There's some real hefty clues in here, even in the chapters that we have covered tonight. And what if the answer is No. What if the answer is like, I don't know, and so therefore I don't know how to act on that. I don't know how to live on that. What might the remedy be? This is at the heart of one of our questions and discussion questions tonight. Is the Lord's prayer something that can bring us back and be centered and understand and in communion with God to get a better picture of what it is that he wants us to know and be prepared for and how to be prepared. And then from there, um, Luke goes on and he shows, he, Jesus talks about these divisions. He didn't come to bring peace. I think we know that now. And it was never his intention. He knows that what he is bringing, this new kingdom of God is radical. And it is going to put people at odds with one another. And it still does to this day. And then we end in 40, or 57 and 59. Oh, I should go back. 54 and 56 is an interesting um, thing, I think. There's another warning, and he talks about, like, you see, you can see from the sky what's coming. How can you not, like, this is a theme here, right? How can you not see what is going on right now? I am standing in front of you. Like, God told you I was coming. I'm here. 
Like, how can you look at the sky and say, this is what the weather is going to be in like 10 minutes, but you can't recognize me? And so pay attention. And then finally, verses 50, 57 through 59. Take care of this now is basically what this message is. Do not wait, because if you wait, the judgment, the circumstance, the, um, the future for you could be very different than what he wants it to be. So do not wait. And this goes back to that preparation and knowing the heart and the desire of God for his kingdom. Do we know? I think that this, these two chapters really show us that it can take a lot of um, effort to get somebody's attention, to get people to actually think about um, what they believe and what they're doing. And Jesus in this pulled no punches. Jesus, Luke uses Jesus' words more than anybody else in any gospel. And he's very direct and he used heavy, direct, intentional messages. And he wants to get people's attention. And so, that's part of our discussion this evening. I know you have a lot to discuss, and so I'll let you go to your groups, and then we'll be back here like four-ish minutes.